Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Today I interviewed Drew Karwa, and Drew is the CEO and co-founder of Haiku Jam. And since we interviewed on Friday, I've now been playing Haiku Jam, and it is really cool. Uh, it reminds me of, actually, it brings me back to the days when I started my own company called Vote Chat. It serves a similar purpose that we were trying to um, trying to aim for. So it's really cool to see uh, an app coming out like that, and uh, it's really interesting that it caught on in India and the Philippines um, and other places in Southeast Asia. Uh, and uh, uh, this interview with Drew is one of my favorites because for a long time I've been talking about how I'm going to start to network and start to bring together the global entrepreneurship entrepreneurial space, technology innovation space, uh, and try to be the podcast that maps that out. Um, and Drew had been following me for a long time on Twitter, and we were talking. We were actually supposed to talk about um, Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance, uh, which I want to actually talk about. I want to read first. That's why we didn't talk about it, because I didn't read it, didn't have a chance to read it before we talked. But this interview perfectly fits into my thesis Drew grew up in the UK, was born in India, started an app in London, and then it got popular in India. Uh, and so he moved to Mumbai, and he's now got his startup there, and it's growing in India, the Philippines, and all these other places. And he's, he's opening one in the US, um, or he's st starting to bring the product into the US as well. But this is an, a prime example of something that was started outside of Silicon Valley. Um, and they've got users, a lot of users. Uh, so this is, it just fit perfectly. And I wasn't expecting to go into this conversation. I, I didn't know that much about Haiku Jam before going in into this conversation. And here is like, this is it. This is, this is what I'm, what I'm really interested in bringing to the world is showing that there are companies outside of Silicon Valley. Cause it's, you know, being here in Silicon Valley, nobody realizes that there are people who are onto that, but nobody talks about it at dinner. They're always talking about, um, you know, innovation and all these abstract concepts and, and it's just like they're kind of ignorant uh, of, of the rest of the world. The, the, the products that are being built here are used in the rest of the world. Uh, a lot of people aren't, like a lot of founders are from other countries. So a lot of founders do understand that, that the rest of the world and, and that's part of the reason they're, they're successful in their company. Um, but a lot of people who work in tech and startups aren't just kind of are ignorant of the rest of the world. Um, and I want to change that. I'm going to offer content to change that. And this definitely is one of the first episodes that I'm publishing that goes really deep into that and kind of sets the stage for the interviews that I'm about to publish for the, for the next few months. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, and also I want to let everyone know that I'm starting to at least tweet in Spanish. I've been, for months now, I've been in a battle with Twitter in order to figure out how to get new accounts so that I can start publishing um, more podcast episodes on those accounts because I don't want to fill my personal account only. I want to provide 90% value and only uh, market about 10% of the things that I'm actually doing and, and speaking about that. So um, I've created a separate account at Get Crazy Wisdom uh, where you can, uh, where I'll be publishing more of the episodes uh, each week because I've got about 50 that I haven't published yet. And so I'm going to publish those at Get Crazy Wisdom. Uh, and then I've also started to tweet in Spanish. So if you're 
Spanish speaking, I'm going to start doing more interviews in Spanish. Um, so if you want to follow that, uh, I'm going to eventually release a fully separate podcast for Spanish. Uh, and so if you want more information on that, uh, go to at crazy wisdom ESP at crazy wisdom ESP on Twitter. Uh, I'm still battling Twitter on the other two languages. I want to start creating content in French and Portuguese. Uh, and eventually I'll, I'll have those. I created them, but then Twitter shut them down. Uh, so I will start to talk more about those as well. Uh, and the idea of this is basically, you know, like I speak Spanish and I speak Portuguese and I speak French and I learned all these languages in those countries. Um, and so I'm going to start doing interviews about technology innovation in those languages as well uh, so that this information can not only reach English-speaking people, but can also reach people in other languages. Uh, so hope you enjoy this episode. Please let me know what you think. My personal account on Twitter is at Stuart Alsop, III. I'd love to hear more about what you think of these, of these episodes. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom podcast. My guest is Drew Karwa. Uh, he is the co-founder, CEO of Haiku Jam. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Uh, he has a little bit of a cough today, so that's going to come up. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, don't, don't apologize. We're, uh, we'll get right into it. And uh, so really excited about this. Uh, uh, Drew has been, uh, we've been chatting on Twitter for a long time. That's right. And uh, really, I'm, I'm, we just had a short conversation before we started, and I'm really excited about this interview because he just showed me Haiku Jam, his product, and it sounds really interesting and want to get into it. Uh, and I'm also just wanted to kind of like say like it's just really cool what Twitter does because it's like you know we, we like you're from India right yep that's right and we just like found each other on Twitter we're talking and now you're like in my apartment in San Francisco I'm so glad you raised that because that's exactly how I was planning to start that it just kind <laughs> of uh, it shows how magical the internet can actually be and we need more interactions like this and I think we need more tools being designed so that things like this can happen I think it's awesome. Mm. And I knew nothing about Haiku Jam before you just handed handed it to me. A and, box to you. And, and, <laughs> and I knew that you were doing it. Uh, and then you just started talking about how it's, well, yeah, maybe you should give an explanation of how it works. Sure. Mm -hmm. So Haiku Jam, it's a collaborative writing game that helps people feel better. Um, for those who don't have context and can't see into the room right now, I handed Stuart a box um, of something we call Haiku Jam cards. And these are basically blank cards where strangers write together. Right? The way it works is you think of a topic or an emotion, write one line, and then pass it to a stranger and they will write the next line. So you are literally connecting with people and the context of the connection is creativity, thoughts and emotions. And that's just a very, very special way of bringing people together. And our core product, it's, it's a mobile game where almost a million people around the world are writing together with almost, uh, what is it now, like 100 million lines published in the app and three lines being published every second. Wow. <laughs> That is really cool. Uh, so it's a mobile app, but you also have a card game. What's what's the what's the deal? Yeah. So the 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 app is the main thing. Okay. Um, but like the card game is beautiful for events. Uh. Um, I feel like the irony is that although yes, we are a mobile first platform, sometimes it's really nice just to put the phone away and connect, you know, IRL um, mm. with strangers, with friends, with family, and that's really where the card game comes into play. And you're doing events. Right. We do lots of events. Yeah. Here, in, but most of those events are in Southeast Asia? Right, or? so for us, um, we're a Mumbai-based team of almost 20 people now. Um, the majority of our uh, community are coming from India, Philippines, Vietnam, Indonesia, and pockets of South Asia. And there's a growing base of people in the US as well, and we'll be expanding here a lot more next year. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a really beautiful like community-run model. So we, as an organization, run events. 
um, but we also have jam ambassadors, right? <laughs> Haiku jam ambassadors, um, and they have lots of fun with it. They run their own events in cafes, in colleges. Um, I think there was an event a few months ago, like that happened at a railway station in Delhi, which is just <laughs> awesome, right? Over like cups of chai as trains are passing. So yeah, and that, and, and that that's that's how we're really growing our community as well. It's very special. And you're staying at the Red Victoria right now. Are you doing any events there? You know what? Um, I should have. Um, it's been <laughs> such an intense like two weeks and we said we'll do an event. Um, it's, it's not been possible on this trip because I'm leaving on Saturday morning, but definitely the next time I'm here for sure. And what, what are you doing here? I've, I've come here for a conference, okay. um, which happened last week. And we um, have a bunch of investors in San Francisco. I've been catching up with them, mm. uh, just, just sharing the story with lots of interesting people around Silicon Valley. And so you, you, how long ago did you start it? So we officially launched in 2015 mm -hmm. in London, um, and that was interesting because we launched and uh, being like first-time technology founders had absolutely no idea what we were doing, but super starry-eyed and just like dreaming about this thing. Um, and even what brought us to India was like kind of magic and serendipity and randomness. Um, most of our organic users were coming from pockets of Asia. And one and thing led to planned? another. Sorry? Was that planned? No, no, it wasn't by design at all. It uh -huh. was just kind of happening. The product was culturally resonating. And, um, you know, out of a space of real sort of need, um, we, we moved to India because like the story just wasn't really resonating in the UK and Europe and the US at the time. Like we were trying to raise a little bit of seed money and for whatever reason, it just wasn't really working, right? I think we have a bunch of other side thoughts that we can get into <laughs> later around this. Like it's funny, we we're chatting, uh, chatting with one of our investors yesterday about this, that the business of um, a lot of technology investors, they want you to be thinking very globally yeah. about the world. Uh, but the business of venture capital itself, it's incredibly local, local. right? Yeah. Um, and we experienced yeah. that kind of the hard way. And um, a couple of mentors said, look, man, if you're growing in India and that's where your community is being built, you can't do this via Skype, right? You need to take a flight and be here and meet people on the ground. So we literally did that, moved out of my apartment, um, sent a bunch of cold emails to investors and entrepreneurs in India and hustled for like five, six months, just pushed really, really hard, and we ended up closing a seed round. In India? In India. Um, Can you talk about who your investors are there? Yeah, sure. Oh. So our lead investor is a fund in Mumbai called Lightbox Ventures okay. um, that's invested in some really, really amazing stuff around the country. And um, the funny thing is that as we got to India, um, there was a couple of US investors that also participated, so Social Capital invest invested uh, okay. in that round, and since then we've done um, another round as well. So now uh, more and more investors coming out of San Francisco. Yeah, okay. And, and so then, so, so, cause that, the, I'd love to talk about the local capital in venture capital versus, versus global. Mm -hmm. um, also another thing I want to talk about is how you mentioned you can't do it on Skype and I agree you can't do it on Skype, <laughs> but I think you can do it on Zoom now. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I should be talking about Zoom, not Skype. No, yeah. right. no but, uh, uh, and then, so capital is local. At, w at which point? Because so that's really interesting. Because you, you did you only move to India in order to to build get the seed round, or was it also a matter of the com building the community as well there? Yeah. So I, I feel like uh, as a general principle, you shouldn't make decisions, business decisions, to to raise money. You should yeah. be build, uh -huh. building, you know, making business decisions based on building your community and doing what's right for your community. So for us, it was a case of like following our community there. Mm. Um, and the first few months, it wasn't really about meeting investors. It was actually sitting in rooms of college students, of engineering students, mm. lawyers, housewives, and understanding like, 
what's happening here? Why like, are why are you using this? <laughs> what, what is it doing for you, right? And, and, and a few months of that exploration um, and that inquiry really just inspired us. And we said, okay, let's do this. This uh, is exciting. Yeah. Um, and that's when we really said, let's, let's, let's go after this, this, uh, this part of the world. And then, <coughs> and then through that, basically, then the capital started to appear, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And then at what point did you realize, no, we need to come to San Francisco to raise money? How did that come, come about? Uh, <laughs> so much of our journey is like not by design and just like things happening to us and us responding in a smart and creative way, I feel like constraints, right? Which is also the spirit of our product. It's all about like constraints. Um, I feel that initially um like for instance social capital they had a couple of partners in india at the time that we were trying to meet indian companies and we just got introduced we had a conversation they said okay let's do this This is exciting this is crazy right this is a very very intriguing and um product and uh, quite an inspiring mission so I'd like to be a part of that so we did that and um we actually uh yeah just through them and then through our existing investors in india got connected to more and more mentors and more and more people um, so we're getting called out here, like even mm, okay. the reason I'm here right now, um, we got invited to this conference for international founders last week, which was all about international, uh, like, um, you know, growing your product in multiple markets, mm. um, exploring the called? US. It's called H2. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I can introduce you. I wish I, 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 I come. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I should have <laughs> connected that dot earlier. Uh-huh. You should definitely come to the next one. That's really um, It was very, very cool. So uh-huh. it's all about like, especially, it, it's, it was really helpful for entrepreneurs who are, let's say, um, don't have those San Francisco connections mm-hmm. and network yeah. Um, and are, yeah, thinking about the U.S. either to raise money or to, like, grow communities here. So it was really great. Mm. <coughs> and then you have, you, you were you born in India or were you born in the U.K.? Or I was born in India. Okay. But I moved to England when I was, like, three years old with my okay. family. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I was brought up in the north of England in, in Yorkshire. Yeah. Okay. And then... You had no plans in your life to move back to India, or did you? You know, it's funny. I always, like, strongly self-identified as Indian. Uh Um, As in, uh, I always used to, let's say, once or every every year or two, we'd come back and see family, right? My grandmother, my cousins. And I really, I just, I love those trips. In Bangalore? No, in uh, the uh, family (laughs) everywhere, actually. So my, my, um, my... Dad's side of the family was from Darjeeling, okay. and uh, they live in a place called Siliguri uh-huh. now in the like just uh, sub Himalayan foothills. Okay. I want to make that clear to my <laughs> listeners that Darjeeling is like right at the foothills of the Himalayas. Right, right? that's yeah. exactly right. Uh-huh. So around that region, um, so I, I go there a lot. But then I think uh, everyone has like cousins and aunties and uncles in like every city now. So yeah, lots lots of different parts. But um, yeah, we always used to go back and I loved those trips it was always really inspiring so there wasn't a plan but I always felt yeah absolutely at some point in life like whether move back or keep coming back to do work or to like create or collaborate absolutely I I definitely like connected with the country a lot and then life brought you there exactly then life brought us there and now now it's great it's it's a lot of fun it's a very exciting time to be an entrepreneur right now in India I would say and I'm so interested in this, and I'm 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 going to start doing a lot more interviews of, of people in India, and it's so great that like you're here in San Francisco because I, I have so many questions about it. I remember yeah. one of your interviews. Sorry to cut you off. No, you good. interviewed um I'm, I think I remember Crazy Polymath. Yeah, uh, and I'm having another interview with him. Thursday. Right. Yeah. I should know his name. Uh, what's his name again? Kunal. Kunal. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know his Twitter handle, and I really enjoyed that interview. And I think he was in Gujarat at the time when you were yep. interviewing mm-hmm. him, and that that was a lot of fun. Yeah. So looking forward to more of that. <laughs>
And so <coughs> why are people using, why do you think people are using this in South Asia and Southeast Asia as opposed to in England or the US or the UK? So it's funny, now um, people are using it everywhere. So it, it's, it's definitely growing. I feel why it, you know, um, inspired an early audience in Asia is because um, there just weren't very many platforms for expression um, and there weren't particularly like a lot of cultural outlets, right? Um, sorry, emotional outlets. Um, if you look at a place like San Francisco or Los Angeles, um, it's a very expressive cities, right? Um, India, pockets of Southeast Asia, these are very, very exciting places because so much is in flux, right? Like they're really melting pots, a lot of old traditional values and new stuff and modernity. Um, and making sense of that can be really, really overwhelming. So for instance, one behavioral thing we noticed was that um, there's a lot of things that are discussed and talked about in Haiku Jam that people won't necessarily feel comfortable talking to their families about or their parents, especially younger people. Um, and this became a platform to express. And it was a really fun and easy way to express as well. Normally, um, what I love about your podcast actually is the number of conversations around creativity. And we think about that a lot as well. Creativity can be like really inaccessible and super, super intimidating, right? Most people don't identify as creative which um, scared of it, and it, it's yeah, it's yeah. scary right yeah. like if I said you know like <laughs> making a podcast right that's yeah. intimidating right writing a book that's intimidating what we found with haiku jam the beauty of it is that you don't need to be a writer or a poet to participate because all you're doing is writing like a few words right like one line but through that collaboration that few words become something much much more it becomes you know a creative complete thought um, and uh, uh, it, it can also unfold a series of relationships and human connections as well. Um, so I feel this confluence of factors led to you know an early audience mm. in India, Philippines, um, and the product really just inspired people. So one, one, in fact, one thing that just came to mind was when we looked at our sort of usage graphs in India, we realized that um, usage peaked at night, like really, really late night. Um, generally, this is a huge generalization, but I think it's an accurate one. People in India just sleep like a lot later yeah. than in the US and life starts a little bit later in the morning as well, like offices and things. Um, and we noticed that usage was sort of spiking at like 1 a.m. midnight. Um, and when we looked beyond the metrics and spoke with people, we said, yeah, it was at those moments when maybe you're reflecting on the day, you're feeling a little bit stressed or feeling just a little bit alone, right? And unlike writing in a journal, which is essentially like a one-player game, right? You are writing with other people. So you're feeling that sense of connection whilst also expressing yourself, um, and yeah, for all of these reasons, we think that that's, that's why it worked and so continues to. A lot of things that came out from that, uh, the, the main theme I want to talk about is modernity and creativity, <coughs> because I've never thought about that before, the connection between, before, between modernity and creativity. Mm -hmm. And then the other one, I think, just want a quick note, is that I think it's because at night you're alone, that's the, that's the time where I think a lot of people are able to essentially disconnect from everything because that's when conversations start to die down, even right. with your family and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'd actually push back on that a little bit as well, because I feel um, you're, you're absolutely right. And that's the time that I feel that we should be disconnecting. But mm -hmm. because of this supercomputer that we carry everywhere, like even though like sort of us as atoms want to sleep, like mm -hmm. as bits, we're still awake. Right. Um, like all of our social media profiles are still alive mm -hmm. and we're getting notifications. And yes, if you're quite disciplined about it, you know, what Ariana Huffington talks about putting your phone in the other room <laughs> like one hour before, but most people no, don't no, do this, no. right? Like most people are still sort of passively scrolling through Instagram or Twitter um, and largely not feeling great about that. And, and mm -hmm. actually we do need probably more disconnections. So 
it, it, it's very bittersweet because sometimes like people we, we see in our uh, app store reviews that people are like, wow, I was awake all night jamming on Haiku Jam. I'm like, I mean, that's wonderful and I'm glad you were writing, but you should have probably got some sleep, right? <laughs> so that's, uh -huh. that's an interesting tension. And this goes yeah. into the modernity and crea creativity right. thing because essentially <coughs> what I see is that we have these phones and they are connected to us psychologically in a way that they're becoming an extra appendage. Absolutely. So, yeah. So that, and we can try as much as we can to discipline ourselves, to motivate ourselves. But I think more and more that option, unless you're hyper compartmentalized, is going away right in the sense that it's it's just like a natural thing like yep. there's some sort of evolution that's happening and so the only thing that i've been finding to work because i'm not a very dis i mean it can be disciplined in some ways but right. only if that comes from a place of like intention or right. like like clear alignment um and so i think that's the only way to do it to establish a relationship with technology in a healthy way is to is to find that alignment um but alignment's constantly shifting as well. Right. So it's like, it's, it's, it's uh, difficult. I definitely don't think I have a healthy relationship with technology. In many ways, I feel it's, it's, it's a really unfair fight, right? Because um, on the one hand, yes, Stuart, Drew, and everyone else should be more disciplined, right? Yes, yeah, should we turning off our phones or putting it on airplane mode? Um, and that requires willpower and resilience and like intention and great. Those are all like really aspirational qualities that we should all look to cultivate, I feel. But at the same time, when you have these companies that are literally designing for that behavior, like literally the smartest people in the world, right, are designing for addiction because um, the under that, that that's what's literally sort of uh, that, keeping our attention on the things, right? Yeah. And and the the underlying business model is it's predicated in attention mm. or a more sanitary of way of talking about attention is engagement, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. That's so that's that's really tough when like literally you know that like I don't know thousands and thousands of super smart engineers, data science people are literally like understanding how you tick in a way that you will never understand because it's your subconscious. Mm. Um, mm. Well, so you might, you might be able to understand it though. That's, yes. That's the, that, and that's the, the ultimate question. I think our generation and now it's a global generation is, is, is questioning or uh, is that <coughs> these stories that we've been told our whole lives or reason like oh yeah this is something I'd love to ask you about because you did you when you grew up uh, in India um, in northern England uh, but your parents were were Hindu I assume right yeah. yeah and so you grew up with these stories about did you grow up in a religious home or no pretty spiritual okay home. Yeah. like I was brought up around a lot of yoga and meditation mm -hmm. my parents were always like spiritually inclined so more like spiritual than uh -huh. religious. but absolutely yeah yeah like there were a lot of Hindu traditions that were okay and that's the and, question is like this there's these stories that are in in, in Hindu mythology right? right and and I those aren't in my frame of awareness they right they've never you know I but I've got the Bible you know I grew up with the Bible and the Christian stories yeah and, and um and all of these stories are there some of them are the themes are constant throughout each culture. Like there's themes that these these stories go into, but then the inter the manifestation of them changes. Right. Uh, like so in uh, uh, so that you know different names, different yes. different things with Absolutely. slightly different details to the story. And but these stories happen for a re evolutionary reason, which was to motivate motivate goal directed behavior shared between human beings. I think. Fascinating. What do you think about that? I think that's fascinating, mm -hmm. and 
I do agree, uh-huh. actually. Um, it's not something I've considered before because I think when you're you're brought up in a diet of these stories, for you it's almost just like it's just fiction, right? It seems a little bit random. It's like okay, you can there's 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 a philosophical lesson in there for sure, and that's sort of projected, and you extract that. But um, actually, yeah, I, I didn't realize how actionable mm-hmm. they were for day to day life, and that's that's absolutely true. And any text that I've read as well, um, and and books that I've enjoyed, they're they're highly actionable. Um, yeah. But do continue. I, well, I'm and curious so to... and so, I didn't have a point in this. I'm riffing right now, so this is. Mm-hmm. And but there was, and I should give my sources here. So it's it's <coughs> I've only recently started to think in this way, and it's because of uh, Jordan Peterson's Maps of Meaning class on right. YouTube, basically, which goes into these stories and the like. What are the archetypes behind these stories and stuff like that? And so awareness. Modernity and we got uh, modernity and creativity, and we've got old versus new, and that's what it is. It's this, this, this like synthesis, synthesis, but it's stressful, right? Because it's like so much, so so quickly. Because you got a whole bunch of people in India who are just like have these traditional values and stuff like that, and you have the internet that just like, what is that doing? What is the internet doing to traditional values? And we haven't necessarily upgraded ourselves biologically or psychologically to Mm -hmm. deal with that pace, right? Like largely we haven't really changed much of the last however many thousand or millions of years, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And we still have 24 hours in a day. So like those are constants. The, The only variable is this like sheer overwhelming pace of technology and media. And, um, it's, yeah, it's very, very difficult Mm. to navigate. And, um, Especially when it's so sort of hydra-headed as well, it involves government, it involves technology, it involves entrepreneurs, it involves artists, it involves people as consumers, also as creators. So I feel like a lot of that world is just in flux right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially so in India, where mm-hmm. you know there's a, a lot of change happening at a very, very raw infrastructural level. S- and how long, and you now reside in Bangalore? In Mumbai. In Mumbai, sorry. Yeah, I know, it's cool. In <laughs> yeah. Mumbai. Um, uh-huh. It's been, uh, we moved across at the start of 2017. Okay, 2017. It's been a couple of years so you've been there for two years. And Mumbai itself must be very interesting because it's like, it's, would you say that it's similar to New York of India, basically? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, that's, that, no, that, there's a lot of parallels with New York, okay. actually. I feel um, there's something I feel that's, that's super. Uh, reminiscent of like San Francisco but I think it's more the fact that like it's by the sea mm. and there's an energy within coastal cities that I feel like I really connect with and love and there's a creativity um, too there's a creativity yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely there's an openness uh-huh. about that and um New York I feel like yes like the city just what's the phrase that the, the big it, big apple the, the big apple the city that never, never sleeps, sleeps right yeah. Mumbai is like that as well like it's it's very one thing I enjoy is when you're having a really really late night right at 2 a.m 3 a.m um and there's still people selling chai Right, there's still like conversations happening outside. You don't feel so so alone. Whereas I know that walking through San Francisco sometimes, mm-hmm. like Palo Alto in an evening after eight nine p.m., it's like oh my gosh, like what? Ha- where is everyone? Right? <laughs> what is what is what is going on here? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think a, a lot of parallels, but definitely with New York. And and so you got Mumbai, and it's this city, millions of people. It's like one of the biggest cities in the in the world. Yep. And there's a lot of creativity, a lot of art. Right. Uh, uh, and there's uh, uh, film, right? That's where the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So I think it's considered the uh, um, sort of entertainment capital of, of India, India and also uh, the financial yeah. hub as well of India. So it's well. like a mix of LA and New York. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and San Francisco. Yeah, right. and San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, interesting. All right. So, and so you got this big city and is there a lot of migration from uh, countryside to big cities in India right now? Yes, a lot. Okay. A lot in search of opportunity. And that's one of the big, big challenges actually, because like the cities just infrastructurally cannot support, right? Um, all mm. these people coming in, which is why um, there's such, there's so many uh, slums right in, in Bombay and many, many people keep moving to these slums. And these are actually really, really inspiring environments. Like they shouldn't exist, right? People are, I feel deserving of like better quality mm. housing and um, healthcare and just they should, the li life should be a lot more comfortable for them. But again, it just shows that when in the face of adversity, um, people really, uh, there's a lot of creativity and a lot of ingenuity that is unlocked and unleashed. Um, and these places are literally hubs, hotbeds of entrepreneurial activity, really, really inspiring. Um, we ran, we ran a, one of the most memorable, memorable sessions, we ran a Haiku Jam event um, at a slum for very young orphaned girls. Um, and it was really inspiring at how like brilliant these, these kids are and how they're really, really dreaming about the future and really optimistic. And you know, it's amazing, like people are smiling a lot more in those places than they are in the city, right? Than where they are, where like all the, the banks are and the startups and people just seem a lot more like content and happy, which is, I, I'm always really inspired and amazed by that. And so was that, where you, you went into the slum and was that in the card game or was that? was that... the card game, okay, right, exactly. That, that must've been really cool and inspiring to see. It reminds me of, I lived in Brazil for a long time in the favela in Brazil. Right. So in a very similar type of a slum situation where they, they kind of grow outside the infrastructure of a, of a city and right. stuff like that. Uh, and before I moved into this favela, I didn't even think I was going to live in the favela, but I ended up living there. And before I moved there, but when I was still here in San Francisco, I was watching a TV show in order to get my Portuguese up. And the, this TV show is called City of... Um, City of Solomons. Yeah, City of Men, right. and uh, and that was <coughs> that was close to a movie called City of God. Have you seen that? I have. Okay, have you heard of it? I've heard of it. Okay, yeah. it's an amazing movie. Okay. So this movie, City of God, all of the people that starred in this movie were from the favela. Uh, all the favelas in Rio de Janeiro. The people right. who wrote it are from the favela, and it's about the it's about the favela, and it's actually about the drug violence in in the favela. Wow. Uh, but it was it's about the drug violence from a really gnarly perspective, it's a really uh, intense movie. Um, wildly popular throughout, throughout the whole world, this, this movie was wild. It was actually my first time I had ever heard Portuguese, um, and, and, and it sounded like Russian because the, 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 <laughs> the, the, the accent in Rio is this, it's like a sh right. very Slavic thing. Uh, How long were you there for? I was there for nine months. Wow. Uh, in, in Brazil. But then, so I watched this movie at City of, uh, City of, City of God, and then, Many years later, was moving, planning to move to Brazil and want to learn Portuguese, um, and and I was studying the favelas, and I watched this show called City of Men, uh, and in it is the other take of the favela. Um, so it's and it is a brilliant TV show. It's wow. like absolutely like amazingly creative, and all the same people from City of God were in it. So all everybody from the favela, and it actually came from the favela. Was, there's there's an artistic organization in the favela that ran the whole production of the movie very very low low production but just amazing like like um and it it, it was a product of the favela like there was it was so interesting and so then i learned portuguese and actually then ended up moving into the favela for various random reasons <laughs> uh, uh and then and then met all the stars uh who were from this tv show from both city of god and city wow. of Man, because they were still living there that's uh, crazy. It also happened to be the, one of the most beautiful places in, on earth because it's on this hillside. Because right. Another interesting thing about Brazil is that 
the uh, in Rio particularly is that all of the the you know in in San Francisco all the nice houses are up on the hills yeah uh, and that's new, normally where it goes but Rio the beach is so beautiful that people decided to put their their houses the nice houses so all the rich people lived on the beach and the hillsides all remain jungle and everything like that until the favelas started happening in the 1950s and so then people from the northeast started to uh, basically go on the land there and set up their houses and so it's just like stunning absolutely like stunning beautiful land uh, up there uh, well I, I can't wait to visit actually. yeah that's that, amazing if you do let me know I can, I can <laughs> for uh, sure and you guys should do uh, do some do haiku some haiku jams. jamming there yeah. right absolutely what about Latin America what, what are you guys thinking you know that? it's funny we um when we were launching there was pockets of pretty like interesting organic growth happening. I think it was in Mexico City. Interesting. Um, I even remember doing this like really random radio interview with a Mexican <laughs> radio station and someone was asking me questions in Spanish. There was another person on the line who was translating and I was responding and then he it would translate. Remote. It was remote. So it was really, really <laughs> messy and I don't know if I know it's ever aired, but yeah. Um, <laughs> it, 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 the thing is, I feel like Haiku Jam, it, it's, it's very much like global by design as uh, an idea yeah. it's mm -hmm. it's got that in its dna so it can work absolutely anywhere um, one of the bittersweet things about building a startup is that you have to really focus right you can't actually do everything at the same time even if you may want to um, so for us right now um, there are these amazing things happening yeah. around the world but like you can only go after so many of them and eventually you get bigger and hopefully you can you can really just fully um, deliver on the mission that you're on and is it what are the things that prevent you from doing that? I mean, I, yeah, I, I agree with that absolutely that you need to focus. But is, is the is it a language thing that or like or are there other components to expanding outside the outside of your <coughs> markets? What are the here's the question? What are the main um, sources of difficulty in growing the business business globally? So I'd say that um, on a very fundamental level. Um, the only thing I feel that in a startup, any kind of project, you have a lot of agency over is your focus, right? Like how you are focusing your time and your energy. And um, what we found is that um, with a product like this, uh, well, with human beings, w when people are feeling something, when it comes to emotions, you feel in your mother tongue, mm -hmm. right? You don't mm -hmm. feel in another language. Mm -hmm. So we found that in India, um, yes, like a lot of people speak English and in a professional environment, we will take a meeting in English. Right. But when it comes to my emotions, when it comes to intimacy, when it comes to heartbreak or loss, um, oftentimes for a lot of people in India, that's happening in a completely different language. Right. And considering we are literally like um, a product that involves words and writing, um, it's, it, it becomes a little bit challenging. Now, Haiku Jam is being used in like, I think, 80 plus languages right now. But there's a lot of work that we're doing on um, when it comes to machine learning and data science to actually understand context from the lines that people are writing so that we can bring people together in a more intelligent way. Otherwise, it's just a wild west where you're writing like completely randomly with strangers and sometimes it works really well and sometimes it doesn't. And as a platform, we have to be a little bit more about thoughtful about the design of those interactions. And that means that um, when you're building that kind of technology, it's really, really hard to go deep in like a hundred languages at the same time. So we're a little bit limited um, and we want to also deliver a really high quality experience, right? So, and, so that's, and that's the key as well, because the languages that like India has, so all, how many, how, what percentage of those 70 languages that are in India? Like, are we, are we supporting yeah. in, in the app? Um, right now we support, I think it's a good 11, 12. 
Okay. Um, and, and this was also a really fun experiment, actually. Like we uh -huh. literally, um, it, it, I feel like with a lot of these kind of products and projects, um, the, the, the magic is channeling community energy, right? So we, we reached out to our community because already before we sort of localized, people were writing in the languages that they wanted to. So they helped us like translate the app, um, tell a good story around it. But um, it's it, it's tough local because a lot of, I feel like a lot of people make the mistake in thinking that localization is just like translate your app, translate like the description of the app store on your website, and you've localized and it will work everywhere. It's like no 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 yeah. like you know it's much much deeper than that, and you, there's a lot of like sort of cultural nuance uh -huh. and linguistic nuance that needs to be understood for you to do a good job of that, and um, that's where like the bandwidth and the resource and the sort of physical constraints of time and capital come yep. come in. And so I'm working on this right now. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to do, I've already done interviews in Portuguese. I've not done them in, I've done one in Spanish and I've not done them any in French, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to do interviews in all these different languages. And I'm wondering, crazy wisdom, and I'm going to do it on crazy wisdom. I decided that on iTunes, I want to split it out up. So I don't want to publish, I don't think it makes sense to publish my interviews in French on right. the English one. Right. So create a, create a, create a separate one. Uh, but then do I change the name? Because the word crazy wisdom. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. I feel it's definitely worthy of um, inquiry, that yeah. particular question. Mm -hmm. Because yes, um, we found that as well. Like, you know, um, words that resonate in India when it comes to poetry are like shairi, mm -hmm. right? Which is a form of like poetry mm -hmm. there and, and, and may resonate more than haiku in it. People may be able to connect to it more. So I feel like... Everything can still be in the spirit of crazy wisdom, but maybe your words and sort of the language needs to change a little bit just because crazy may mean yeah, something very, very different in a different language. Yeah. And that's cool because I was seeing this morning like you were tweeting in Spanish yeah. a lot more. I'm like, hey, this is this is really cool. It's yeah. interesting. I, 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 it was, so this is in <coughs> you would have insight into this as well. The, so uh, 10 years ago, I read this article. It's totally lost to me now. I wish I wish I still had it, <laughs> like, but it, but I read this article that said that there are no national borders to the internet. Right. Uh, and at that time, it was mostly true. China had, had, had but then China built a national yep. border around their internet, and now other countries are starting to do it as well. But there are no uh, linguistic borders. There are linguistic borders, yep. and that's the main that's the main challenge. And definitely in India, there's a linguistic borders, which is which is really interesting because so many people, you know, the whole the whole country, English is the business language, right? Right. But then you know so many different <laughs> little languages too. Yeah, it's a real, uh, like coming back to the idea of that melting pot and complex of old and new of this and that of like sort of colonial overhang plus Netflix plus like spirituality plus like these Hindu texts. It's very, very interesting. There's so much happening. It's, 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 uh, it's, um, it's difficult to make sense of, but yeah. there's, there's an energy in the country that really, really excites me. Interesting. It and I mean, there's so much to go from yeah. there. Right? <laughs> I'd love to hear your impression of being here in San Francisco over the past uh, two weeks, right? Or one yeah, so I, this is my third trip to San Francisco. Okay. I've been here. This is my second week. I leave on Saturday. And I was here um, actually on a fundraise earlier in the year mm -hmm. in, in March for, for three months. So um, what, what was the question? Sorry, so, my so basically, so, 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 so you, we, we've got this. I talk about this on the show all the time is that there's... A weird thing that's happened to spirituality and religion and all these different things right. and the concepts related to spirituality in this place in San Francisco is a huge fountainhead for basically tearing down tradition, tearing down well Western tradition, hmm. but then finding 
value in other traditions right and then but then because of language and because as you said that like kind of heartfelt thing of, of it has to express itself in its language and language is directed to culture it then gets integrated because you can't get rid of your culture but san francisco has tried to get rid of its culture right. basically and like wipe it out yeah. because of the patriarchal and then and then essentially take from other places and yeah. then combine this new thing so what do you what does it feel like being in India where a lot of these concepts come, but then, you know, I've lived in India a long time and, or not a long time, but I lived there for nine months and like India itself is no more spiritual. I mean, there's right. a lot of, there's a lot of like, there are a lot of people who are spiritual and have that yeah. kind of authentic, that authentic search. But the things that we are taking in San Francisco are from thousands of years ago right. and they're not even, they're not even real. They're translated. Right. Like they're like, so it's like, what do you think about all that? What did that bring up? <laughs> oh my gosh, so much. I don't even know where to start, actually. Right. Um, so many different thoughts and from the last like couple of days and weeks especially. I feel... Um, so I feel that... <laughs> is this a controversial thing to say? No, I, I, I think it's fine, right? Like, yeah. I, I think um, just Americans are amazing marketers, right? Like, so I remember... I, I spoke with someone in India recently about this who was using uh, Calm or Headspace, right? And... Um, no doubt, amazing products, amazing businesses doing superbly well, right? Like a lot of respect for what, what, what they're pursuing. But this guy was like saying how, wow, it's amazing what they've done and they created all this content and, it, and he was making out that all the ideas came from like the calm and headspace, like R&D and research team. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, like what? Yeah. Right? This is from like thousands and thousands of years of wisdom um, from India, the country yeah. that you're living in yeah. actually. But yeah. he felt so oh, disconnected yeah. uh -huh. to that because... Um, uh -huh. Right. Um, again, coming back to the theme of old and new, like those texts or going to ashrams or learning spirituality, let's say in Indian context, just wasn't resonating for him. Um, it just, for, for whatever reason, like he was, he was an atheist. Um, he didn't really like the association that of uh, between re religion and spirituality. And I feel he wanted almost like a sanitized version of it, where it was free from all of that. And for him, that was common headspace. And I thought with a lot of stuff, I feel like. Um, Coming back to one of the things that you were saying earlier around like um, religious texts and being goal orientated, and you let's say were brought up in a Christian household, I was brought up in a Hindu and pretty spiritual household. Um, ultimately, I feel like with a lot of these things, they're just branches of the same tree, right? And it, it, does, it doesn't matter too much like what the path is or who you follow, or, you know, how you think. As long as I feel like the goal is to um, cultivate human values and like occur in the world in a more like graceful and compassionate manner and if that's happening then i'm pretty flexible on details i'm like okay cool if that, that's working for you that's great um that didn't answer your question at all san francisco i feel like i love being here i think it's really really exciting i feel like it's a very intriguing place so one of the thoughts i was having um a couple of days ago was that so i personally feel very very far away from the rest of the world because not just physical proximity but like mentally as well um like our team you know the time difference is 12 and a half hours so like for me when i'm going to bed like everyone's starting work and we have a quick conversation there right, oh, yeah, right yeah. now yeah. yeah yeah um so yeah. it's uh so you're very far away but i also feel just very very far removed from the way that the rest of the world is thinking or feeling or sort of day-to-day -day challenges in mumbai or africa or wherever it may be and I'm not saying it's perfect, like when you're in Mumbai, like suddenly you're connected to the rest of the world. But I don't know, like I, I, I just feel that I am a little bit more connected to, at least I feel, what, what's, what's going on in, in mm -hmm. life and other cultures. Um, mm -hmm. 
And the irony I found is that this place, San Francisco, is literally developing technology that is helping the world sort of um, communicate and think and express. But I feel a lot of people here are so removed from that and don't actually know how the world is expressing or feeling and thinking. And yet they're building tools to allow for that other parts of the world, which I don't know how to square that one. I feel that that's quite interesting. Um, we have this conversation in India a lot as well, that why is it that all, you know, India is a like, big population, right? Very, very unique culture. Yet most of the stuff that we're using to communicate, at least in a digital context, it's all being built out of this this tiny part of the world called Silicon Valley, yeah. San Francisco. Like, why is that? That's that's interesting. I mean, obviously, the people here have got amazing at localizing and sort of distributing software and solutions around the world, which is great. Um, but just something I find that just kind of intriguing that, like, people... I, I, I and, and I feel that also just people in Silicon Valley um, are very disconnected from the way the rest of the world actually thinks and the kind of problems that people are facing here. Um, they're really, really things that people aren't really considering. You know, and and that is true. Of course, there is, a, <coughs> there is a nuance to it. That is absolutely true that, that most of the people that I know in technology, except for founders, that's the interesting thing, because most of the founders right. here come from other countries. Yeah. Uh, so, but 80%. Of, of people working in technology are not are not are not founders right. and and there are a lot of de developers who come from all over the world but that's also the interesting thing because a lot of them come from the rest of the world and like reject it right you know, they say like no like 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 I want to come to and this is this this weird thing that happens here is that that there's this openness um, and this this willingness to challenge traditional sources of authority right and then also there's a huge disconnect from the rest of the world because of that because I think I think because of that I don't know uh, because you come here and it's so different somebody tweeted a long a long time ago I forget I forget who it was but oh yeah no it was um, Tiago Forte who said like oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher it but he basically said that if you want to sell anything in Silicon Valley to investors or anybody here um, you know say you're gonna change the world. <laughs> loudly at right. times like 100x but anywhere else in the world don't say that right <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. yeah yeah i feel um on a very personal level i feel like the most intriguing conversations and interesting conversations i've had have been with people who are not necessarily like from here their whole mm -hmm. lives they've had other life experiences and they're bringing that to here um i i don't think also it's, it's obviously not a crime to live your life in silicon valley right like i think it's just about um, cultivating that sense of empathy yeah. that there are other ways there are other models um, especially I think the, the good point is that especially if you're building technology for the rest of the world right absolutely yeah, yeah. Um, I mean I, I had an investor conversation the other day and the, the guy was like oh what's India like and you have VCs there and I'm like yeah I mean like oh, yeah, the country has a lot of challenges but he had absolutely no idea and it's like okay and and also People sort of say things like, oh, you know, those like Southeast Asia, we hear this all the time, like Southeast Asian markets, Indian markets, very, very difficult to monetize, like low ARPU, average revenue per user as a metric, right? And I think these are very sort of dangerous blanket statements because they absolutely lack nuance, right? It's just, you need to go a level deeper than that, right? Like maybe people aren't spending on the internet in the way that they are in the US or in Japan. Um, but there is spend happening in the country, right? Like in different thing, in, mm -hmm. in, in different contexts. Mm -hmm. But understanding those contexts and then building um, tools and platforms that uh, facilitate those those contexts and help make daily life, you know, better for people. So um, in short, I really love being here. I feel like this. It, it's really inspirational for me, actually, just to be like, 
um, let's say, out of the office and be meeting with people here because there's a lot of dreamers, right? It really, really is um, a place filled with uh, dreamers and people with really like big missions and, and that's amazing. But I feel sometimes when you're so focused and fixated on a mission, um, you it, it can actually blind you <laughs> from what what's happening reality. on the ground and well, the reality yeah. so yeah Delu- this is a big thing <coughs> up in the show because i'll just mention my own personal experience for this is that whenever i've lived in a lot of other countries and part of the reason i went and tried to live in other countries was that this place is stressful as fuck like right like when everybody is around you dreaming big all the time and wanting to like like fulfill some sort of either delusion or like impose their reality on on reality um uh, it's stressful it's very stressful right uh, uh particularly growing up. Uh, um, and so I went to other countries and I realized that, that it's a lot less stressful being right. in other places. Uh, and then, uh, uh, and then, so whenever I'm here, it's just this constant tension, like underlying tension that makes it very difficult to, and I don't know whether that always exists. And this is a question that I've wondered with the show. I wanted to do a series on it, but I haven't been able to figure it out. Uh, is there's, the spiritual new age business thing that came up here, which seemed totally disconnected from economics. But then at the same time, 1960s, 1970s, you have the rise of Silicon Valley. Right. And most of that, most of the hippie stuff happened in San Francisco. Most yeah. of the tech happened in, yeah. in Silicon Valley. And now they're essentially merged. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know whether that's connected or whether that's separate. Like, is that a coincidence that both of those things happened at the same time? Like, you know, that's 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 a really, really, uh, that's a very powerful thought. And I feel like um, it was a very sad day for the world when we sort of severed the art from the technology and the technology from the art. Right. And I feel like that severing of science and art was was a very sad thing to happen because um, you know I feel that like whenever we see projects right where that have really sort of bridged together art and science and math like i personally feel this sense of healing that takes place this sense of complete this sense of like real depth and richness right um i guess one very famous couple of famous examples are like companies like apple and pixar right where like it wasn't just about the technology it wasn't just about the art it was this amazing like synthesis and and confluence so i feel one of the reasons why um if you see like that that you know, the, the counterculture and that part of um, San Francisco in like the 60s, 70s, so much amazing stuff came because of this, there's this synthesis, there was this, this collaboration um, between artists and musicians and technologists. And so many of those early engineers as well, they, they had a lot of like creative interests mm. as well, right? Um, mm. This great um, book by uh, Jaron Lanier about his journey through um, creating like VR technology. Um, it's called Dawn of a New Everything. And he talks about those, those early experiences and how... Um, you know, once upon a time, uh, Silicon Valley engineers were all like writing poetry and making music and had these really, really eclectic interests. And it, it wasn't one or the other, like my Silicon Valley job with big money and stock options and then art. It was it was just one life. It was there wasn't as much there was not as much compartmentalization. And, and I feel is. like now there's a lot more. And, and, and that's one of the sad things I feel here. This is sort of um, it's becoming a little bit homogenous and flat. And when you look at kind of the companies that are being funded or the products that are being filled, they're a little bit like, meh, right? (laughs) Like, it's just not inspiring. It's just not particularly meaningful. And I feel it's um, everyone's almost in their own little like filtered bubble. Um, And uh, we need to kind of square those 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 vicious circles. Well, maybe it's over. Maybe maybe it's maybe it's no longer. This is this is what I think is. I mean, I think absolutely there's going to be a lot more there. 
because this is the place where all the <coughs> if you if you know if you want to build a technology company, it would be really silly to ignore the people that are here. Right. But if you want to start or to create something at that beginning initial stage, both the economics of this place are making it very difficult. Yeah. Uh, but also just the 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 homogeneity the, that that is also related to the economic uh, situation as well. What, um, oh, sorry. What, what, what you yeah. said at the start of the conversation comes back around Zoom, mm-hmm. right? Now the tools actually exist for you to be build some, building something great almost anywhere, mm. right? Like, um, for instance, India, if you want to build, okay, if you want to, I don't know, if you want to mine asteroids, right? Uh, maybe Mumbai is not a great place to be, right? It's going to be tough to build that business. And there are hubs around the world of talent and capital that you need to go to. But largely speaking, you really just need like an internet connection, a laptop and... A dream, right? Mm-hmm. And and you can build from anywhere. And there are so many amazing examples of this. One of the things I loved about the conference last week, there was a lot of talk around just um, distributed models mm-hmm. and funding mm-hmm. such teams and mm-hmm. met with a number of founders who are actually building out those teams. And it's it's really inspiring. I feel like it's there's always, always trade-offs with any model that you choose, having a bunch of people in a room versus work from anywhere. But um, it definitely feels like it's, it's absolutely the future mm. of work. Um, one of the guys, he said something mem- very memorable. He said, you know, most companies are, um, they're already remote, just in denial, <laughs> right? He <laughs> said, because I, I said, tell me more. He said, well, if you look at Google, yeah. right? Like their Mountain View office, right? Um, lots and lots of, it's a huge campus. There's people in different buildings. That, you know, and when you need to talk to a team from <laughs> another building, you're not walking over and say, let's get a coffee. You're just like calling them on hangouts, yeah, right? Yeah, so. Uh, that's remote work, um, but they're refusing to acknowledge that yes, we, we actually are a remote business, and when you do, when you refuse to refuse to acknowledge it, you don't design the right processes that make it efficient. So mm-hmm. that's that's the tension that a lot of people are navigating. So in this last five minutes, let's yeah. let's go into that subject. Usually, I try I try to find one thing that that my guest is, understands really well and, sure. and get that um, out there. But then, you I love asking this question: What? Um, you know, you went to India to do this in-person stuff, and then um, and and you're working remotely right now. When do you know when the conversation needs to be in person versus on the phone? <coughs> That's a really good question. I feel that um, when it comes to the transactional stuff, and by transactional stuff, I mean like you're literally just working on a project, you're writing code or putting out something on social media or like putting a deck together, just mm-hmm. content-driven activities, you don't need to be together in person. And in many ways, it's, it's more efficient if you're not and you're just getting on with the activity and using collaboration tools. Um, I feel there is still the magic of being in person um, in a number of different contexts. One like this as well. I'm, we could have had this conversation on Zoom. But I know like this is different. It just feels like different. And it is, I, I personally feel like more connected. Mm. Um, I would say it's intimate, more it's intimacy. a lot more intimate, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I feel that intimacy is also really, really important in the context of like conflict resolution, mm-hmm. right? When there's tensions between team members and we've experienced this as well. Um, like when there's fallouts or people aren't seeing eye to eye or there's some bottleneck in the company. It's, it's, it's I don't know, for me it causes like heartache managing that remotely because there's things that you want to say that you feel deeply uncomfortable saying on the phone or writing on Slack. Not because you can't, because it just does not feel right. It's like there's something about eye-to-eye like contact and heart-to-heart communication that, you know, um, I don't think the technology that ex- exists to facilitate for that. Maybe one day it will with 
augmented reality, VR, the way things are going, but we're not there yet, mm. I don't feel. But, you know, I, uh, someone I was chatting with last week had an interesting take on this because I said, you know, I, I asked him this, I said, but what about, you know, the in-person brainstorm and, like, don't you think it's a little bit inhuman just doing everything through Slack or Zoom? And he said, arguably, for us, like, it's become more human because it means that, like, everything is documented, right? So everything is written down and everything is, like, hyper-communicated. So the time we do get on a call or the time we do meet for an offsite, it's really meaningful. Like, it's, you know, we're not talking about ru rubbish, right? We're talking about really, really meaningful things. So I said, okay, this, it's interesting. I, I guess it just depends on your perspective and context, but. And that's the thing is that the, the, there is no answer to that question. Because yeah. like, like, like it, that it's context, context dependent and right. like anything, you know, it's like as soon, like right now we're having a context dependent conversation, but as soon as it, anybody listens to this conversation, right. it no longer, it's not. They'll project no their own context, yeah, exactly. right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and I feel that in fact, on, a, on maybe a higher level, like there's no real answer to any question and yeah, like yeah. in life and it's actually all just an inquiry, right? Um, and What's funny is we got connected through, um, we were chatting about fiction mm -hmm. on uh, DMs, right? And we were talking about that book, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Yeah. And we were actually going to discuss that. Maybe we'll do that another yeah, yeah, time, yeah. actually. Uh, I really Have you read it? Uh, no, I haven't. And, and that's part of the reason why I just said, come on over, we'll do this. Anyway, okay, great. I haven't read it. I, I want to read it. And you ride, right? Like, I do, yeah. yeah okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, you would love it. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, and what I, one of the things I loved about that book, we don't need to get into it now, was yeah. that um, the whole book is an inquiry, mm. right? There's no, like, point that is being made or right, like right, right. content that is being disseminated. It is an incredible inquiry. And for me, that's what building a startup is, building a product. It's not like you have to put something out so that people use it. It's just a really, really fascinating inquiry, a rabbit hole that like, it's a pleasure to go through and you um, you learn a lot about yourself and, and you move towards yourself in the process. So that's, yeah, I feel a lot of this and that's, stuff. And that's comes the to that. show. I mean, the show right, is, exactly. is the same thing. It's yeah. like, yeah, it's like, I, I, I have no idea. and. Everybody wants you to tell them that you have an idea. You know what's you know you know what's going on. I was uh, there's anybody who wants to check it out. Go to college college Zilla YouTube video. He goes and takes down fake <coughs> fake gurus, um, and so he like uh, you know all the marketing gurus right, that right, right. have on on Facebook and all this different. He, so he goes point by point how they're being fake basically. Wow. Uh, it was it was really and he, so he went into Sam Owen, oh, Sam Ovens, this Australian guy who I've seen many times on Facebook uh, marketing towards me, and went point point through point as to as to how it's manufactured yeah um and and that's but and there's something in humans that want that like want want to be lied to to say like no no i know i understand everything mm. i'm going to lead you into this and 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 it's like and you do need you know it, it it's important for us to find out the lessons we have from our experiences and draw some things from those lessons and share them with other people but it's like this this like ridiculous idea that somebody else has this answer it's crazy i mean one of the things i love about your podcast and even just your twitter presses is the is the um i mean every day for you seems an inquiry right you ask like how many of the three five really fascinating questions that like every single day and some of them um no one responds to but it's still really valuable mm -hmm. that just being there and like thinking about it and sometimes they trigger amazing conversations some which i've had the pleasure to be a part of so um, I'm completely with you on that. I feel like it's 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 obviously like convenient, right, to assume that the world is really linear and simple. And when someone comes and offers us that narrative, it's 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 comforting, mm. right? That oh wow, you have the answer, great. Like because life is overwhelming, mm. it can be really really tough. But the reality is that it's anything but simple. 
Um, and it takes a lot of courage to go down that path of inquiry, but it's a really, really meaningful and nourishing path. So it's one that I guess we, we highly encourage. Well, and, and starting a company is the, the only reason that I started the show is because I started a company and realized how fucking hard it is. And right. like how, <laughs> and just like had the same thing you said, it's like an inquiry and like how, how quickly you can realize that it's not about you. It's not about, it's not about, it's about finding the truth essentially. Right. Like, and, and, um, and then, yeah, it's really hard. And I, I, I don't know. I didn't ever, I don't remember what I was going to say there. One of the, um, oh, I know we're running out of time. One of the maybe final thoughts that just came to mind was, um, few years ago, on our first trip to San Francisco, actually, we had a meeting with uh, the CEO of Cloudflare, mm. Matthew Prince, um, and uh, it was one of those really crystallizing moments that I'll, that will be with me like for the rest of my life. Um, he asked us, there's a room of I think four or five of us, and he said, um, what is a successful company? Like, can you define it? And then he walked away and he came back in like five minutes and we were all like scrambling at useless definitions. Like, oh, it's a product, <laughs> it's a mission, blah, 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 blah. Like, didn't make any sense. He said, no, 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 you're all wrong. Um, a successful company is a sequence of phenomenal decisions. And it's basically, and, and what you're trying to do as founders and platform builders is you are literally um, creating a learning engine that asks better questions each week and comes up with better answers each week. And if you can do that for enough weeks or months or quarters, you know, um, at a time, then you become really, really successful, right? So here's the example of like, the media loves to sort of point to that one entrepreneur with a glint in his eye, right? Like the Steve Jobs, like one visionary, it was nobody else, like he just knew what he was doing or like, it was page rank, right? That was the thing that like led to Google's success and now they're whatever, a trillion dollar business. And it's like, it's never one thing. It's a confluence of things coming together and it's about like how you managing that complexity and that confluence internally. And if you can do a good job of that, I think you, you're going to figure it out and build something really cool for the world. It goes back to that story thing. We could go on for hours. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, it goes on to the story thing and, and, and all the, you know, Steve Jobs, <coughs> it's a mythical. Right. And because he challenged these things and, you know, but it's a, it's a myth, but it, but that's it's a myth. It's, yeah. <laughs> like it's not it's not. Uh, it's a romantic idea yeah. for sure, but like um, it's yeah. I feel like it's important not to get caught up in the the reality distortion that is mm -hmm. like modern media. There it is. That's what it is. There's well, that's the that, I think that's the connection between the practices that have become popular here and the technology thing. And Steve Jobs is a really good example of that. One of the only examples of it. I read again. It's I read an article, lost an article, but I read this article that said uh, uh, it was by Bill Gates. Bill Gates was being interviewed about his experience with Steve Jobs, right. and uh, and Bill Gates described Steve Jobs as a as a minor wizard. Uh, right. and he was like, and he would he was just really funny because he'd see Steve Jobs talk to somebody, and you, and then Bill would be like, see like, okay, so he's doing his thing and then the other guy would be somehow get into this spell right uh and then bill gates was like well you know i thought it was really interesting but you know i'm a minor wizard too so right so <laughs> that's didn't, great didn't really uh, didn't really affect me um but yeah it's like uh it's weird so well thank you so this has been really cool and def we'll definitely do it again um how can people find out more about haiku jam they can get our app. Right now we're an Android first app, so if you've got an Android phone, you can download it on the Play Store. Um, we'll be on iOS again very, very soon. Um, we are pretty active on social media, especially Instagram. The handle's at Haiku Jam. I'm there, I'm on Twitter as well, and uh, yeah, I'd love for them to check it out. One thing I should mention, actually, since it's very, very recent and we, we didn't talk about it earlier, is that um, there's a team in Sweden 
that's currently researching Haikujam, a team of professors, psychologists, and social scientists who have found that Haikujam boosts well-being, right? Um, so there's this amazing, like, sort of a scientific inquiry that's, that's taking place. They just published their initial findings, and uh, people can find that out on our, see that on our website, haikujam.com. So I'd love for Very you to cool. check it out. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode and please tune in every Monday and Friday for new episodes. I'm going to start releasing a lot more episodes during the week as well. So don't uh, be surprised by that. Uh, yeah. And if, if you want to get more of these episodes, please follow at get crazy wisdom on Twitter. Uh, you can also, if you speak Spanish, si tu hablas español, tu puedes encontrarme, uh, crazy wisdom ESP, crazy wisdom ESP, ESP. Uh, so I'd love to have you there. And please let me know your thoughts on my personal account at Stuart Alsop, I, I, I. Have a great day.